Welcome to the new DEEL podcast, January 2021. A forum where principals, teachers, and school counselors and faculty talk about how they make decisions and stay true to their ethical beliefs, inspiring true democratic leadership in these challenging times. disbelief that like this is our country and this is happening um there was anger and there's some fear i mean that this can happen and you know it may not be it may just be the start of it like we don't know what's to come yeah i think maybe shame is is the thing that i felt just sort of maybe like everyone's collective shame or at least hopefully most people's collective shame that that we live in a place where something like that would happen and I must admit, you know, you all know me pretty well. I'm not an angry guy. I'm a really happy human being. I'm very blessed and lucky. I was really, really angry. How dare this happen? Who in the world are these people? They need to go back into the, the far corners of the society where they were lurking in the rat holes where they come from and just stay there because they have no right to do what they did. In fact, they have no right, they have a right to say these ha- hateful things, but they don't have a right for it to be public news all over the place. I'm getting a little bit mad right now, so. Well, I thought of the night of the long knives and I thought it was really frightening um, right away. To see them getting into the Capitol uh, was, was really terrifying. And although the pictures in the beginning didn't really show us all that much, it it felt, I felt very worried, very worried indeed, particularly for our representatives um, and for the senators. And um, that's all I could think about. And um, as we know now, what we've seen is just plain terrible and frightening. I couldn't believe the images that were Uh, I was encountering, um, it looked like democracy was crumbling before our very eyes. So on the 6th, on the 6th of January, we had a horrible insurrection, which was really an attempt to overthrow our whole democratic system, throw out a free free and fair and accurate election and replace it with what would be an uh, authoritarian regime set up to uh, turn our democracy into a dictatorship. And as we looked at the really frightening, devastating videos of these people who were just breaking down doors, smashing people and actually killing uh, people. The image that we had is of, of an angry, violent mob. And then, the, and then if you looked at the agendas of them, whether it was QAnon, uh, neo, neo-Nazis, uh, various militia groups, the agenda is one of hatred alienation from democratic values and racism. And so we're recording this on the 18th of January as we celebrate the uh, birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's time that I think that we uh, take some time and pause and think for ourselves as lifelong died in the wool educators who take this as, as a mission, right? What does it mean to, that we uh, orient our schools so that we do the primary task, and we in the New Deal have said it for a long time, which is raising the next generation of democratic citizens is our primary task, it's our highest priority. Everything else needs to follow it because if we don't do that, what's the point of anything else? The goal of this mob, this group of domestic terrorists was clearly aligned with white supremacy 
is clearly anti-democratic. And I, I don't think that's something where we need to beat around the bush and people want to say, you know, oh, it was protest or whatever. Like it wasn't. It was it was a white supremacist domestic terrorist gathering. Um, and thinking about how this came to be, I want to hear everyone's opinion on what is the role going forward of us teaching young people and older people to spot misinformation, especially in an age where so many things are now virtual, where we spend our life in this little box on the screen with each other and everything is on the internet. You know, what are the next steps to making sure that people don't, you know, for lack of a better term, fall victim to uh, all of these insane conspiracies that are propagated by people who mean to do us harm. I think that um, in support of this idea, this aim of um, preparing our our uh, students to be um, uh, democratic leaders in our future society, I think in support of that, um, a little bit more of an emphasis of social emotional learning um, can support that that goal. Um, are we encouraging students to think about what these um, historic and, and turbulent events that are going on, what, what does that mean in their own concepts of, of their own identity? Um, what meaning are they making of that? Uh, I think that that is um, one possible area uh, that we can grow and build upon, uh, mostly so that students know that there is a safe school is in fact a safe place for them and that um, their voice is as important as everybody as everybody else's. Sandra Day O'Connor when she left the Supreme Court one of the first things that she did was establish Civics Education Institute to really look at this problem and to really get students involved and provide scholarships and summer kinds of summer grants. I looked it up recently and there's not much that's being offered at the present time, but it probably has a lot to do with COVID. Um, but when I spent a little time with my granddaughter going over social studies education, and I think I've mentioned this to you, the civil war, it was troubling because it's still being taught at least in that particular school as battles. And uh, instead of doing concepts, Sophie is totally ready for concepts. She really is. And I'm sure she's not the only middle school child who believes in, who really can understand concepts. And I think we've got to get beyond the battlefield. Although I'd like to take her to Gettysburg <laughs> as soon as we, as soon as that's possible. But, but beyond that, really understanding how, where we are from the Civil War. I mean, there's so many different parallels. And thinking of Martin Luther King and, and the, the whole concept of slavery, um, I really think there are better ways to work on this area. And I think a focus on civics education would be incredibly helpful. Dr. Shapiro and Jen, I think actually there's a great opportunity for what you both are talking about to merge this idea of like social emotional learning in these conversations we have in every single class. Um, for me, a real piece that is missing 
is this idea of not only talking about equity and justice in these conversations, but empathy too. And that's a really important piece that gets missed um, is the empathy piece. We talk about it in silos when we go in and do lessons, if we get to do lessons as counselors with our kids. But as we're having these conversations about history and what we've seen and what we are currently seeing, this idea of empathy and compassion and what that means for ourselves and for our fellow citizens, I think both things need to happen. It needs to be work with our students, but also continued work with educators. Um, I think that the New Deal vision statements really provide a wonderful um, foundation and framework for educators as they think about this topic. I know when I was, you know, thinking about how I was going to talk to students after what happened on January 6th, or at least get the information out to our teachers so they could be prepared to have conversations there really is a fundamental difference among some educators in how they even view their role in having these conversations. Some believe this is very much a political issue, while others see it as a humanitarian issue. So while we certainly need to be talking with our students and helping them process and understand, there's a lot of learning and work that still needs to happen amongst educators as well. That's what I'm seeing. I think it sort of harkens back to when I was teaching in early childhood, children would always ask about death and lots of teachers wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Some teachers would go in with a religious bent. Some teachers would go in um, with a very scientific based thing. It's these sort of almost taboo subjects that people are very scared to talk about in classrooms. And, and I think that empowering teachers is really going to be important. Because when you talk about, you know, Arcady was talking about um, fake news, that idea of fake news and, and, you know, what's real, what's not real. You know, we know that it was a bunch of, it was white supremacist Nazis who were, who were doing this. Um, some people say, you know, well, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get parents angry. I don't want to get the administration angry. I really don't want to touch this. And it's that that hands-off attitude where history is happening all around us. And this is the time we need to educate our kids. It's not enough to have the grit education that seems to get sort of put in in fifth grade. And that's great. Grit is great. But it's the idea, I think, Taryn, what you're saying, empathy, community, um, understanding truth, and, and being brave enough as an educator and administrator to talk about it, to talk about what we see, and then having enough community support that we know that we have parents standing behind us. And if we don't, they'll still trust that we'll present it in a way that children can talk, that we can have discourse. I think there may have also been some reticence on the part of teachers in school systems that are very sort of top down in their um, leadership models that um, possibly teachers uh, if they hadn't received the, the sort of high sign or affirmation from their principal or their superintendent to be able to dialogue a bit with school, uh, their students about this, that um, they were you know, inhibited from that. Um, and I know some teachers that, that felt that way uh, at that time um, uh, and the day following this terrible insurrection. Uh, so I I'm wondering also, about, you know, just kind of, I think it's a climate issue, a culture issue, um, you know, do teachers feel like their voices or their um, kind of ability to um, <clears throat> make a difference in, in, in regards to this kind of a dialogue that like, does that matter? 
bring it back to uh, today's celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday, I'm thinking of one of his colleagues, the really amazing civil rights leader, Fannie Lou Hamer from Mississippi. What she said when she said no one is free until everyone is free captures the idea that came from uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, where, where he, he concludes with that exact same phrasing, where, you know, a, a day when everyone will be liberated and everyone will say free at last. And I think when we, if, if think of how differently we would feel and behave as a nation, if we didn't say, oh, I'm sorry for those people, but no, say an oppression of those people is actually an oppression of me. We are in that inextricably linked. Right now, with if you look at the white racists' uh, 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 mentality, it's like a seesaw. They have to for them to be up. Someone else has to be down. It's the complete opposite of that. So the the idea of empathy, I I, I love it, uh, Taryn, because it creates that sense of it's not sympathy, it's not condescending, it's identifying with and saying it's happening to me. It's just that profound, and 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 in fact, it's incredibly obvious that it is happening to all of us. We can be in denial, we can be angry, we can be an adversarial, but it's, we're still stuck on the same planet together. And so of course it's happening to us. So I think it's not just idealistic, I think it's like the height of realism. But then you get to the, the point, this is a challenge for us. We say we're wanting to raise the next generation to be able to inherit, sustain and improve a democracy. And our vision statements work around that all the time. The D and deal stands for democratic. But the challenge that I see, and I'd like to hear from as many people as want to respond is, where do we actually live in democratic uh, spaces? That is, our, how democratic are our homes? How democratic are our schools? How democratic are our workplaces? And the answer in all three cases is they're really not, unless they're intentionally organized to be, and those are the exceptions. And, and there are exceptions, I grant you. So it's the freedom for teachers, for administrators, for communities to say, if we really mean this, how are we gonna give people the hands-on practice, like Arkady's saying, to be able to debunk false news, be able to look at all these websites and say, this is real, that's not, to think for oneself, to organize, to do what we did in the New Deal, to band together. We have to be intentional and planful. It's not just gonna happen. I must say, however, that I do see some hope. Yes. And I might as well talk about hope at this point. That's my daughter's middle name, just so you know. <laughs> 54 years ago, when uh, uh, my husband and I were on our honeymoon with my brother-in-law, we wound up going to a Martin Luther King. It was, it was a place in Washington, DC, where Martin Luther King was speaking. At that time, we were the only white people in the crowd. That was it, the three of us. We looked around, there were a lot of people, but they were, uh, they, we, were, we were the white people in the crowd. It was the most exciting thing imaginable. We all sang, we shall overcome together. And I just found it an extraordinary experience. But when I looked at Black Lives Matter demonstrations, 
what I saw was very powerful as far as the younger generation is concerned. There were not just only black people there only, there were people of all different backgrounds and it was truly exciting. So I do think there is some hope and it's keeping that idealism alive that is really important in the schools so that it's, it's so that it becomes very special and very important and that they will continue to protest properly um, together. Uh, so that to me was a very positive experience. Now we just have to build on that. It's important as educators that we're talking to our students about this stuff, but I don't wanna miss the point that just as important is listening to them. Um, you know, we don't have to have all the answers, but I think there needs to be um, environments set up in our school that really allow these spaces for adults in these children's lives to just listen. As a kid, what did you think when you saw the insurrection at the Capitol? I thought they were stupid because they um, are breaking into the Capitol building and supporting someone who's racist. Uh, at, at first, uh, when I heard about it and heard that the police were doing nothing about it, uh, that was, to me, sounded like racism because during the Black Lives Matter protests, um, peaceful protesters were being shot and for just doing nothing. But when people were like going into the Capitol, the police said stuff like, have a good day, and they didn't do anything. Uh, I, I, I felt disappointed in the country because they weren't doing anything and they acted like nothing happened. They treated the Black Lives Matter protesters and these protesters differently. How so? They helped the these protests, I don't know, the, the storming capital protesters downstairs, and they were like threatening to kill Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, because I think that we can teach a lot to students that um, are living in poverty, living, um, have been, um, uh, marginalized by by uh, societal uh, systems and structures, I think that we can teach a lot about um, how we regard their parents by how inclusive we are, um, bringing them into important conversations. As a parent, how did you tell your kids about the insurrection? As I was watching the insurrection, I was horrified. I thought this was a terrible moment in our history. I was worried about the kids. And I also wanted to tell them everything that I saw. I had didn't, I felt like it was something that they shouldn't be shielded from, but something that they should have as much information about as possible. My first thought was how could I shield him from the horror? And I went back to that Mr. Rogers thing, look for the helpers. And all through the, all through watching it on TV, I was trying to look for like the security guard or the somebody to pick somebody up. So I was trying to find a way, a safer, I don't know, a safer way to talk about an insurrection. There is no safe way to talk about an insurrection. Clearly in our values, uh, we're right out there when we say that right to voice is central. It's right in our mission statement. And we also say that, and have been saying for a long time and believe it and live it, that we're talking about administrators, teachers, staff, students, 
families and community all have leadership responsibilities and not just potential, you have to lead. We need to find this, this, this space and the, and the way for you all to be leading. That means we're going to be doing what Taryn and you, you're saying is listening and honoring and, and Jen, you're saying, and responding to. And, and if you look at our vision statements, each one of them gets the, the leader out of their, their siloed role and out, out and about and discussing and starting hard conversations. There's going to be some hard conversations. They don't have to be explosive and incendiary, though. They can be organized properly and, and intelligently. Many of us have done it for a long time. I think if we just hold on to hope, we got to act on it. I agree with you, Joan, but we got, I think we have to act positively on it because I think what we've seen on June, I'm sorry, January 6th is what happens when things are let go. And, um, and, and a powder cake just blew up. I was astounded. I, I sat there like we all did with, I mean, how did you all react? I mean, I was, I was in shock. It took me two or three days. I wrote to you all just whatever was occurring to me. I couldn't do that for the first two or three days because I couldn't process it all. It was so phenomenal. I was bowled over in the worst of ways. I visited Berlin and we went uh, to the Reichstag. In front of the Reichstag are, are these gravestones, many, many gravestones. And I asked the person who was showing us around, who, what, what are these gravestones? On the night of the long knives, Hitler attacked the Reichstag. Does this sound familiar? Like attacking the Capitol. And he had his, his guys, the Gestapos, kill many of the representative in the Reichstag. And those were the graves that you would see in front of the building, uh, as well as killing other important people. If we don't know our history, we will be condemned as always to repeat it. But this was so similar to what was happening in the Capitol, it was terrifying. So when I saw it, I was terrified, but I had also read On Tyranny, and I think I've mentioned that book to, to all of you uh, by many times by Timothy Snyder, but it prepared me for this, it really did. And, and it's an amazing book because in 20 simple points, it really tells you what to expect. Um, but I expected just, just Arcady, just as you said, um, that this was going to happen. But the one thing that I shared with everybody, and I'm just going to mention it so that our people who are listening may access it as well, is the National Academy of Education's uh, Civic Reasoning and Discourse, Advancing the Quality and Utilization of an Interdisciplinary Research Base. That's a mouthful. But if you go there, as some of you have already gone there and seen there's a whole uh, series of panel discussions. You know, this isn't the first time people have said, how do we teach about democracy or how do we teach about our history, et cetera. So that we make wh whatever adjustments we make are informed by the scholarship that's come before us so that we avoid some of the pitfalls that they fell into and that we, we make something that's whole and, and, and quite, quite a bit better. If we don't want the, you know, the attempt to overthrow our election to be the new norm, then something has to happen. Thank you for listening to the New Deal podcast. Would you like to find out more information about podcasts and future events with the New Deal? If so, in the show notes, click join our email list. We'll keep you up to date in all the goings on.